You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning. Really good to be here in God's house this morning. What a fantastic time we've had of praise and worship this morning. So here we are, we're continuing our series on the armour of God. And I have the first item mentioned in Ephesians 6 and 14 um, to speak on today, and that is the belt of truth. Now I don't have any props, as you can see, um, because the belt just doesn't have the... Was that the one you're putting up? What was the other one? Sorry. You just got the... Oh, <laughs> Thank you, sorry. Because a belt like this just doesn't have the same oomph as a policeman's uniform or a biker's helmet. So I thought instead I'd do a little history lesson and try and refresh some of the skills I had in my working life, which seems a long time ago now. I read recently of a British expedition to the Northwest Passage of the Arctic. It was in 1845 and it was led by Captain John Franklin. And there were two ships making the trip and they were staffed by 138 men. Yep, all men. Women probably would not have got into the difficulties they got into, you'll see as I go along. The two ships were called HMS Terror and HMS Erebus. Now, terror is kind of self-explanatory, but just in case you don't know, Erebus is a personification of darkness in Greek mythology. I certainly had to look it up. Not the best names for ships that are going on an expedition like this. And I certainly wouldn't want to be going on a cruise ship named Terror or personification of darkness. They took lots of things with them on this expedition. There was a 12,000 volume library. Now, I know Lenny would have loved that. There was sterling glass, yes, sterling silver place settings. There was cut glass wine glasses, fine dining ware, and other such items. But they only had a 10-day supply of coal for their backup engine. They didn't have warm enough clothing so that when they got into icy waters, it wasn't long before the, deck, the water was freezing on the ship's decks and then inevitably around the rudder, stopping them moving altogether. Women wouldn't have done that. They would have made sure that they had everything they needed. <laughs> so what happened? Some men left the ship to go for help, but the expedition was doomed as they were faced with high winds and sub-zero temperatures. History reports that all 138 men died, and their mission failed completely. Why? Because they failed to prepare for their mission. Their resources were completely the wrong ones, sadly lacking. Let me read you 
the, the scripture that we've been um, looking at or we will be looking at over the next few weeks. It's in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you, after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This series, the reason that we're bringing it, is about preparing for battle. Because as a Christian, Satan is always out to get you. Now that will just maybe come as a shock to some people, but he is always out to get you. Whether you're the newest Christian or the oldest Christian, he is out to get you all the time. And we are prepared for that. We're prepared for the battle by putting on the armour of God and standing. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Tom spoke a lot about standing, keeping our ground, even when we're under attack. So the language here of fastening on the belt of truth is more literally girding up your loins with the truth. It's not really language that we use, although it's a great, girding is a great word for Scots. It's not really language we use in nowadays, although I have to tell you, we did have an education officer who would tell head teachers to gird up your loins when we were um, faced with yet another new initiative to take back to schools. But here in Ephesians, the verb gird means get ready. And that often means for a dangerous situation. People in New Testament times understood exactly the picture being presented on the belt. It seems very strange to us with our 21st century fashion minds to understand a belt being the first piece of armour to put on. It's the last thing we put on. And even if a belt would be called armour anyway. But the people Paul's speaking to knew almost everyone wore long flowing robes or they had sheets of cloth wrapped around them. And soldiers needed first of all to tie up the excess material so that they were free to move and they weren't easily grabbed. A belt went around the waist in readiness for the rest of the army. Exodus 12 describes the children of Israel being prepared for their exodus out of Egypt. It describes the first Passover. They were to eat the Passover with their loins girded. 
sandals on their feet and staff in hands, and they were to be ready for the journey, so they were to eat in haste. As soon as the Lord set them free, they were to be ready to begin their journey, in lots of ways to begin their battle. God set us free when we accepted Jesus as Saviour. Our journey, or our battle, demands that we have the full protection of the armour of God so that we can't be captured again by the enemy and returned to Egypt. We're not going back, we're standing our ground. The belt a soldier would have had wouldn't have been that thin leather strap like we all like to have in our wardrobes today. It was more likely to be way <laughs> more likely to be more like an apron with slatted leather so that it covered the soldier, it protected him from the waist to mid-thigh. It was foundational and no other armour could go on before it. And why was it there? It provided support, mobility and protection. And it's the same spiritually. We have to put on this belt of truth so that we have support, mobility and protection. But what's this truth that we're talking about? Well, I went for a change to John Stott to see what he had to say about the truth. Don't worry, still Warren Ware's his biggest fan, but I fell heir to some fantastic commentaries, so thank you, Len. And John Stott's word on Ephesians is amazing. The Christian soldier's belt is truth. Does that mean the revelation of God in Jesus and in Scripture? We know that truth is definitely the only truth to dispel the devil's lies and set us free. Jesus himself said that in John 8 and 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And again he says in verse 36, same chapter, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, Paul talks a lot about power and the importance of truth. In Ephesians 4 and 21, we read, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. But when we come to this belt of truth, <coughs> it's really more likely that Paul is referring to truth in the sense of sincerity or integrity. Are we living up to what we claim to be? Who's we claim to be? Why? Because Stott says, to be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy, to resort to intrigue and scheming, is to play the devil's game. And we will not be able to beat him at his own game. What he abominates is transparent truth. He loves darkness. Light causes him to flee. For spiritual, for spiritual as well as for mental health, honesty with oneself is indispensable. But I'm most like what William Gurnall, an, an English Puritan preacher and author, has to say about this truth that we're talking about here. Some, of, some by truth mean a truth of doctrine. Others will have it truth of heart, sincerity. They, I think, best that comprise both. One will not do without the other. 
where I said William Gunnell, who lived between 1617 and 1679. We can't have one without the other. We have to have Jesus, and then we will know integrity and sincerity. First of all, we know Jesus. We believe the truth that is in him, and it changes how we behave. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. He was, he was there at creation. He's the source of truth. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was telling it as it is. Or any real truth finds its roots, its source in Jesus Christ. This is established and cemented by the prophet Isaiah. Paul talking about armour isn't just talking about Roman soldiers' armour that he sees all the time. He's talking about Jesus as the fulfilment of prophecy. He is the divine warrior come to rescue the people of God. Let me read for you Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, honesty can't enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own eye worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Truth was lacking. So what was God's solution? Messiah. He sent Messiah, his own son Jesus. He came as truth, the only way back to God, to make standing in truth possible for us because he is truth. He is in us. Three ways I want to suggest to you this morning to put on the belt of truth. Number one, the word of truth. Number two, heart of truth. And number three, the truth as it is in Jesus. So the word of truth, or the word of God, it's the same thing. In Ephesians 1 and 13, Paul writes, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is the truth. The gospel comes to us through the written and revealed word of God, the word of truth. Looking back at the soldier's belt, which provided support, mobility and protection, remember, we get strength from God's word. If we want to grow as Christians, we have to read and study the Word of God. It is never enough to listen to the preacher on a Sunday morning, be blessed and think, that's it for a week. Not that any of you would ever think of doing that, of course. But we need, to, we need to go over the preach, we need to test it, we need to delve deeper. And again, I recommend Jesus' notes to you. They do what it says or they can go deeper. But also, we need to get into the Word for ourselves, do business with God, so that we can put on the belt of truth and we can stand. 
You won't be swayed by any of the devil's lies because you're standing on the truth of God's word. So the truth of God's word objectively considered, that's first. The second is a heart of truth. As we consider putting on the belt of truth, this is truth that's more subjectively considered because this is truth becoming a characteristic of who we are. Knowing Jesus personally changes us to want to be more like him. The closer we get to him, the more we want to be like him. Ephesians 4 and 24 says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a form of the same word truth that Paul uses here to give a description of what happens in our hearts when we come to Christ. We're changed. Remember David's prayer in Psalm 51, verse 6, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. It's not just about having truth objectively in the Bible, knowing that his word is truth, but it's also about having such a deep application of that that we, that we start to have true hearts. We can have deep integrity and sincerity that cannot help but surface. We read already Isaiah describing Messiah in chapter 59, but if you go to Isaiah 11, then we have another description of Messiah. He's called, and we've sung it this morning, the stem from the root of Jesse in verse 1. In verse 2 it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, bringing wisdom, understanding, and counsel, power, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And then in verse 5 it says, Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness, which means truthfulness, the sash around his waist. What does it mean? It sure is serving Jesus in all sincerity. I think that's what Paul's saying. You know, we look at the life of Paul, he had no false motives. He had one desire to know and to please Christ and to make him known to everyone he came across. For us as Christians, it's imperative that we have sincere hearts, that we're never hypocritical that we don't say one thing and do something else. Having heart of truth or not means integrity versus du du duplicity. James in his letter warns about double-minded men as being unstable in all he does. Integrity is having a heart that's completely and holy for God. It affects everything that we do and everything we are. Warren Beersley had to bring him in as he said that some Christians, instead of being like the man who built his house on the rock, are building duplexes, half on the sand and half on the rock. Now I'm not for a second suggesting anyone here is doing that, but I have to tell you I often have to challenge myself about that. Am I fully serving God? being completely loyal to him, putting on the belt of truth each morning so that I can stand firm on the rock. And love David's prayer in Psalm 86. He knows he fails and he petitions God to make him a better man. Listen to verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. 
Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. He's saying, help me put on the belt of truth. He recognises that his heart is in fragments. There's a peace given to God, and there's another given to the world, and there's another given to his selfish ambition, and there's another to his bodily appetites. His heart is divided, but he cries out, Lord, gather the parts of my heart and unite them so that I can always be only all for my God. Remember William Gurnall, the Puritan preacher from the 1600s? He said that the Christian's heart is like shattered pieces of metal. It's like a metal object that has been broken and splintered and fragmented and they're all lying on the floor. And he says what needs to happen is for them to be gathered up and melted again in the furnace of God's word, cast into a new beautiful mold so as to make a united heart, a whole heart for God. That's truth. How do we get it? Well, let's look briefly at truth as it's found in Jesus. He is the source of the word of truth. He's the Spirit of God of Jesus. It was the, sorry, it was the Spirit of God of Jesus who inspired the prophets of the Old Testament. It's amazing, it's so wonderful when we look at the Old Testament, we see how those prophets all point to Messiah coming. But not only that, Jesus came on the scene speaking with all authority. He said, I am. He knew exactly who he was and why he'd come. Constantly we read of him saying, you have heard that it was said, he says different things, and so he's, he's correcting the misapplication of the Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you, it speaks of no authority because he's the source of truth. We have to learn the truth in Jesus. And for us to put on the belt of truth is to put on Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord. He's the embodiment of sincerity and integrity of a true and complete heart. No one ever lived with as much integrity as Jesus Christ did, or with a whole heart as Jesus did. He loved the Father with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. And you know what? He loved his enemies. He loved us to the very end. He loved us to the point of death, a very painful and cruel death. Jesus is Messiah. He's the shoot of the stem of Jesse in Isaiah 11, who put on righteousness and truth as a belt. No one was ever as single-minded as Jesus was, or as faithful to Father God. All of us need to recognise this morning that the only way for us to put on the belt of truth is to go to Jesus and get it from him. He's the only one who creates new, complete, righteous and holy hearts. So this morning, whether you've never given your life to Jesus before, or whether you're just aware of the duplicity of your heart, you can come to him with all the broken pieces. I know he's always in the business of making everything new. You can trust him. 
Same is true for those of us who have been on the road, known him for six months, six years, sixty years. He doesn't just mend broken hearts, he makes them completely and absolutely new. People of God, let's put on this belt of truth and show this time who Jesus really is. Amen.